This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest and Mr. Andy Penko. Welcome, Andy. Wow. How are you? That was a lot of applause. I'm, I'm great, Evan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have a whole studio audience here. It's, it's excellent. Anytime cool. the applause comes, like, oh, there we go. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Andy is the owner of his own firm, Tenant Financial, and you also own Tenant Financial Tax Prep Services as well, correct? Uh, yeah, j just Tenant Tax Prep, technically, but that's correct, yeah. Awesome. You're a virtual-only retirement planning and investment management firm, if I have that right, for flat annual fee. That's part of the reason I want to have you on the show today was talk a little bit about that kind of fee structure. It's a little different than the norm in the business. And then Tannen Tax Prep offers preparation and filing for federal and state income tax. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's only for clients, uh, people who are clients of the advisory business. I'm not looking to grow that to just tax prep only clients at this point. Got it. So if they come in to do the full-fledged financial plan with you, the idea is that they can leverage your tax services at that point. Exactly. Completely arm's length, separate fee, separate engagement. If they choose to use me, great. If not, so be it. I'll always review their tax returns regardless, but if they want me to do what I can under the separate business. Excellent. Okay, great. So I found you on LinkedIn. I actually, one of the colleagues here had said, hey, you got to interview this guy. He's got very strong thoughts and very maybe interesting thoughts, a little different than the norm. And he showed me some LinkedIn posts and I saw some feedback back and forth and that the LinkedIn world's a whole different world to me. So anytime I go on there, I see something, I say, eh, it's interesting. What was interesting from when I looked at your background was you, you did some other things in the business. You've been licensed for 13 to 15 years, but you just started your own firm about four years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I was in the industry 19 years prior to starting my own thing. Those 19 years were in different areas of institutional corporate finance and investments and risk management. I was licensed. I did have uh, Series 7 and 63 for a handful of the years because I was in a prime brokerage role providing financing to hedge funds, but that was corporate and institutional. Prior to that, it wasn't client facing, it wasn't direct advisory role, so didn't need licenses, but I was still doing risk management and other institutional roles. So what made you go four years ago, hey, I'm going to start my own firm? Did, did you buy a practice? Did you just say, hey, I got an idea? I, I want. How, how did that evolve? The latter. So I, I wanted to be an advisor when I was in college. I graduated college in 2000, went to school for finance, wanted to help people with money, but didn't know exactly what that looked like. And after interviewing at a lot of the places, the big places I were interviewing on campus, quickly realized it was all just, those roles at least were all just selling or gathering assets. It was the big insurance companies, it was big wirehouses and a couple RIAs. And I got really just turned off and disenfranchised by it. It was like, this isn't what I thought giving advice would be. So gave up on the idea, stumbled into an actuarial role at a large insurance company, corporate type role. Mm -hmm. And just parlayed that into a 19-year career in various risk management, again, institutional investing and corporate finance type things, banking and always had the itch to help people individually, retail clients, if you will, and, and feel like I'm making more of a difference in the world. And 2016, I, I kind of got re-engaged with the thought of becoming an advisor. I got tired and burnt out of the corporate thing, the long commute to New York, the long hours, the work wasn't satisfying. Learned a lot. I didn't see me wanting to do this another 20 years. And I came across the XY Planning Networks podcast. I don't know how, but I did. And it just it blew the lid off for me that there are other ways you can structure advice, charge for advice. It's not just selling product and or gathering assets and charging a percent on them. 
you can do real planning for more logical fee structures. And that was it. That's all I needed. Light went off over my head and it was just full steam from that point forward. So that was 2016. And then learned a lot, read a lot, got my hands on everything I can get about the industry and best practices and regulations and service models, blah, blah, blah. And ultimately decided, yep, this is the one I want to do, but I want to do it my way, have complete control. Partly because I thought there was a lot of things I didn't like about the industry that I wanted to do different. And also because just personally, I wanted more discretion and autonomy and flexibility. Having come from the typical corporate grind, I wanted away from that. I didn't want bureaucracy. I didn't want to have to manage people. I didn't want big organization, et cetera. So all signs pointed to do it my own way. So I did. So I started 2019. I left my old world and started up my RIA from true scratch with no clients. And the rest is history. Looking at your, at your ADV, you got about 100 million under management. There's two of you. You got a pair planner on your team, it looks like. How did you grow so fast coming from a world that you didn't already have referral flow? You didn't buy, you, there was no book of, book of business box. So how did you start gathering those assets? Ultimately, it was, i trying to sound modest about this, but I know my stuff really well. My focus is tax efficient, highly tax knowledged retirement and distribution planning. So I spent years studying both through formal curriculums like the RICP designation, CFP, enrolled agent license I have, reading lots of blogs and other relevant content for tax and retirement related things and just realized, wow, I, I, I know this stuff well. And even better than other advisors, like I was hanging out in the FPA forum and I'd see questions from seasoned advisors asking things about like conversions and pro rata and basis and, and realizing like, wow, I know this answer. They don't. And they've been doing it for 20 years. So that's when I realized I, th I thought I was onto something. So anyway, I know the technical content. I know I can explain it. I'm, I'm also an, an adjunct professor at Rutgers for their finance department. I'm not currently teaching, but I've taught six or seven semesters. And, and so I know I can articulate and explain and apply this stuff, even if it's technical. And what happened was, so we, I had that. And then my ultimate outlet in business development forum ended up being a Facebook group that I started in the depths of the pandemic six months after starting my business in April, 2020 it was when I started the group. My business started in November, 2019. And I just, I had no clients. I had nothing but time on my hands. I couldn't leave the house because it was pandemic. So I just put all my time and energy into this group, trying to elicit people to ask questions and me share information, me give answers. I started doing live videos in there once a week about different topics where I go deep dive into things like how social security tax and what are distribution strategies and Roth conversions and whatever. And just quickly, that group really took off, started organically growing. Lots of people just started finding me or finding the group, I should say. And before you know it, July 2020 was the first real client I got who found me directly from the group. And just, it was, it's the gates opened after that and just steady flow of people, basically all of which came from that Facebook group found me and I wasn't selling. I, I cringe at the thought of selling in the traditional sense. They took it upon themselves to, to see me, to find me. They asked me questions. They'd engage with me in the group, but I never pitched them. I didn't say, Hey, come set up a call or give me your email. I'll give you this bit of free handout. And I think that non-sales approach was like the best sales I could have done for me again, what my strong suits and, and weaknesses. Well, I think you had a key point, which is actually... Everything in life is sales, but you hit the top tier, which is education over sales. And right. un unless you're in that capacity, you don't know what I'm talking about right now, but you hit that level where you, the education is actually selling people, even though that's not the intent and it would, which makes you a good closer. So you ended up closing a ton of business over the last two or three years, basically. 
Yeah. My goal was to stay solo. I wanted 40 to 50 ongoing relationships where I would manage investments and do planning. And I do flat fee, which you can talk about. That was another big differentiator here. The, the real focus was like the, the tax sufficient retirement planning knowledge. That's the main value add. The flat fee is just a kicker. But my goal well, is, 40 is how, how you get compensated. Yeah, it's important. Obviously, it's how I get yeah, compensated. Yeah. But that method, it makes a lot more sense for a lot of people, a lot of clients, a lot of prospects. So let, let, uh, let, let, let's jump in there because this is something in our business that I think I, I think there we we can all agree that charging people commissions to sell a product and never speak to them again is not good for the business. I, I think that's fair to say. Where I, I may disagree with you, tad bit, and I'm fee based, so I'm 99.5 percent of my revenue is is by by a by a fee how you get those fees that's something you, you're strong on is this flat fee approach so talk a little bit about like your thoughts on it where you came up with it and and and, and what your model looks like i think people would be interested to see how uh, specifically advisors this shows for advisors how does that work with the client and, and and how does that relationship go so to be clear flat fee at least my my definition of it it includes discretionary management of investments. In that sense, no different than percent of AUM. The only difference is that the, the method used to calculate the dollar amount of fee deducted from clients' accounts. But so most of my prior life, my prior 19 years was working, doing diligence and analysis and risk management of hedge funds and private equity funds. So I was in and around the percent of AUM model most of my career and just realized this is silly. Like you don't, directly get more value or services or benefits or resources if you have more assets, yet you, you charge more. And even me as a, a potential user of financial services, I had lots of advisors come to the offices I worked at and try to you know get clients that way. And I know what my net worth is. I know what my investable assets were and I know what their fee models were. I'm like, it just, I don't get why you charge me what you charge me. I, I know the model. I know why you're doing it. It just doesn't make sense. And the more I started thinking and researching and learning about the industry and what I wanted to do, I became that much more convicted in, in knowing that, yeah, investable asset size is a really terribly arbitrary and random gauge of value to be delivered, resources used, complexity, et cetera, et cetera. So why do it? We do it because there's inertia in the industry and that's why it's still done. But I had the benefit of starting from a clean slate. I didn't have the, the legacy book of business house percent of AUM that I, I would have had trouble transitioning. I can start from nothing. I did start from nothing. And I knew that the people I'd want to work with, the things I would do, whether you got a million bucks or five million bucks, asset size alone, frankly, means nothing other than slightly more potential liability, I'd say, on my end. I would add in, not to you know play devil's advocate, bigger assets do require a little bit more need on estate planning side, taxation, protection, things along those lines, estate tax issues. I do think there is some more complexity that do, does come with larger assets. Sure. I disagree. I disagree that it's... Unless you are calling yourself a financial advisor and all you're doing is shoving somebody into a model, that I would agree with you on. What's a million compared to five million? What's the yeah. value add? Yeah. Yes and no. At some level, size does matter. You got a hundred million dollars. Clearly, there's a lot more planning, estate tax issues. You're well over the state, the unified credit level. Creative uses of insurance become much more front and center at that level of assets. Generational transfer, much bigger gifting, maybe opening a, a actual proper foundation, not just a donor advised fund. So some level, yes, size matters. The typical, I don't know if they're mass affluent, probably slightly higher than more mass affluent, one to three to maybe even $5 million, it, it's the same. Now, granted, some states may have small one or $2 million state tax or inheritance tax issues. So that needs to come into play. But federally, you're still way under. 
even the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunsetted, it's going to be what, almost $7 million at the time. Yep. Still way under that. So again, asset size doesn't matter. Example I give is someone with a $3 million IRA who's not taking distributions, who's very hands-off, doesn't call you whenever the market dips. That's substantially easier and less work than a client that's got a million dollars where 600 of it's in a broker taxable brokerage with varying positions with different unrealized gain or loss. There's a Roth, there's HSA, there's an IRA. They're actively taking distributions. They call you every time the market dips. Yet the $3 million client's paying triple or at least substantially more. So I'm like, restart that. So, so that's what I did. Now, most of the folks I work with, I'm selective and they got to fit the prototype. So relatively plain vanilla, typical retiree, pre-retiree, don't deal with business owners, don't work with people that have international planning angles, no special needs planning. Like I realized those are other areas of complexity that that justly require other knowledge and, and fee and whatever. But for down the fairway, sort of distribution planning, all U.S., they all more or less have the same general planning needs and wants. Granted, not everyone's the same. That's an ignorant statement if I were to say that. But for the most part, we're doing and thinking about the same things with all these people and know, and know it efficiently. So whether you got a million bucks or three million bucks, I still stand. And this has proven to be the case in my business and the people I work with. Asset size is, it doesn't matter. So talk about the flat fee approach. What is your fee structure? I'm sure it changes a little bit depending upon who you're talking to. But the average yeah. client, what are you looking at? So currently it's 9,600 a year for single folks, 10,800 a year for married. The ADV allows us to charge all the way up to 36 grand a year. I frankly have no interest in working with someone that complex. So basically we, we pick people where our fee makes sense for them. Someone really complicated, yes, we can charge them more. I'd rather just pass on them and vice versa. If someone's super straightforward, there's not much to do. I, I have probably referred away more people than I said yes to, to other advisors who charge less or have less robust of a service. And we don't have a formal asset minimum, but do the math. Someone's got $300,000. You're going to look at my fee of 10,000 bucks a year and say, no way I'm paying this joker that much when I can go pay three, four grand to the run of the mill percent of AUM or down the street. In which case I'll be the first one to tell them like, yeah, don't, we're not the, we're not the good fit for you. You can save a lot of money by going elsewhere. Yeah. But it works really well for the clients we wanted to work with. Again, people with a million to a few million of investable assets and or net worth, it's worked out fantastically well. And, and they feel the same. A lot of my clients were or are educated DIYers through the accumulation stage of life. They get near retirement and realize, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't know what I don't know. And reach out to me and they realize I'm not paying someone 30, 40 grand a year. I'm not that complicated yet. I and have and that, this... that's all inclusive of, of the planning you do and the investment management piece, tax planning, Correct. tax planning. Yeah. I'm guessing you might charge it a little additional for returns, things along those lines. But yeah. Tax return prep is just an operational compliance function. Yep. That is a separate fee, but tax planning. Yep. That's all wrapped into that yep. fee. Yeah. Correct. Makes sense. And and, yeah. It, and it looks like from what I saw, you're managing mostly uh, pretty much hundred percent discretionary and, and mostly ETF models, you know, most index investing or are these mostly active managed ETFs. No, they're passive ETFs. We have started using last year or so treasury bills since rates are so high and individual treasuries is hard not to at this point when you're getting yeah. five plus percent. So we do fold in a bunch of individual securities in that sense. Some are you barbelling? Are you laddering? What are you doing with the treasuries? No, we, we use them a few ways. One is the short-term cash thing. When rates are higher than savings accounts or CDs, it's a good cash store and free from state income tax. That's one. Another is as a partial replacement to, to bond exposure. So we were historically using like total bond market fund for fixed income exposure. Now with guaranteed five plus percent granted only for a year or so on treasury bills, we, we've started 
replacing some of the total bond market fund with treasury bills just to get some guaranteed yield, but didn't want to completely unload the bond fund because if and when rates start to come back down, that, that fund's going to come back up in price and make back some of its losses. Plus it's getting, I don't know, three and a half percent interest or so currently, maybe a little more. So no, we're, we're total return approach, but do factor in and take consideration of things like making sure guaranteed income is robust for necessary expenses. So maximizing social security is a big part of what we do to the extent they have traditional defined benefit pensions, making the most of that. We do have clients where we recommend annuities. We don't sell them, but we recommend them if they're super conservative and or they're constrained in their finances or they're- Would you outsource that to a different financial advisor? Yeah. Yep. There's a few trusted folks I I work with, insurance advisors. Yeah. So one of the things uh, I I noticed, you're big on LinkedIn. So part of my research is to see what you're doing on social media. And it, it looks like- you have a little bit of thing with the IUL sales guys. And it's funny because there's a bunch of adv- advisors that I've had on the show. So you absolutely know there's a need for insurance. It's a question of how the compensation and what you're actually doing for the client is. So if you get a client where you're doing a financial plan for them, they're becoming a portion of managed money, let's just say, and then you go, you know what? They do need insurance. You believe in insurance. You just will outsource that to an advisor and you'll tell them exactly what the, the client needs. Oh, 100%. Just like I said before, I don't sell annuities and it's intentional that I don't have insurance licenses, but I recognize the importance of it in the right scenario. And, and I'll, I'll gladly give the business to someone I trust. Same thing with life insurance. I, there's a need in certain cases for certain people. If and when there is a need, I'll be the first one to say, hey, I think you need life insurance. And then I'll find someone to work with them to get the appropriate coverage and policy. Why not have that in-house? Do you feel like that would be a conflict of interest for you to to do? And I, obviously, from what I, I looked up, you're strong in your stance on this, um, but but I never saw a kind of a why to that. Is it more of a moral situation where you feel like if you're doing that, that would create conflicts for you? Yes, to some extent. I, I firmly believe in the quote-unquote fee-only approach, you know, no commission sales of anything, partly because of the conflict, Partly because to know insurance really well, you have to really be in it. You can't just dabble, have a license and dabble in selling policies. So I feel leave that to a trusted professional. That's all they do is they know the policies. They know the latest and greatest as insurers come out with the newest, the newest thing. Let them do that. And, and it does help me sleep better not having that conflict. I like to think I can manage conflicts well and be fair in disclosing them. But still, it's really liberating to not have that hanging over me. And clients, a lot of clients feel the same. Now, some of it's because what they read or what their own uh, experiences are, having gotten burned by someone in the past, but it's only helped, not hurt to be fee only so far. And yeah, I I see see that on the size of your practice. It makes sense. What what I'm interested to see, and again, I know you said you like, you want to remain small. Sometimes we don't, I, I guess the best way to be a good salesperson or a good educator is to not try. And when you don't try, yeah. that's normally when you get more business. So I'm interested to see if we're looking at Andy five, six, seven years down the road, and now he's maybe he has children and those children want to be in the business. And as that business extends, and I'm not saying you're going to have kids in five years and now they're going to be in part of the business, mm-hmm. but you understand where I'm going. And you're growing and now you have 500 million under management and you can hire your own in-house insurance person that can handle that and it not be a conflict. I wonder if you, your tune may change a tad bit as you get bigger and you get to a, por- a portion, because I'll, I'll, I'll speak as my example, as I said to you, I think pre-recording, I said it earlier, we're 99.5% fee-based at this point. We do insurance for clients. We do have a specialist on the team that actually only focuses on insurance. And we bring him in to do that as I write the policy 
I don't can necessarily consider it a conflict, but I, and I understand, like, I'm not looking for a debate on it. I think yeah. there's, I actually respect anybody that believes that what they're doing is in the morally best interest of the client. I like that. So don't take that the wrong way at all. Yeah. But, but I'm wondering as your team grows and you get to an extent of having two, four, 500 million under management, such as the case of our firm here, do you get to a point where it makes sense to then add somebody to the team? I can't rule that out. It's so far beyond fathoming what I ever think this thing, what I want to let it get to. So sure, anything's possible. But I, I feel only is important to me and it does, it's going to sound a little high and mighty. I don't mean it that way. And, and I don't like, like you and like another guy I know well, firmly in it for the right reasons with this firm. I really like what he does and how he does it. And, and he has insurance licenses because he doesn't trust the insurance industry. He's, I don't want them getting sold some crap. So I'd rather be the one to do it. Yes. It means I can't call myself fee only, but I know I'm doing right by them. Yes. I make a small amount of money on certain products, which I disclose to them, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel I can do it better and more honestly than other people can. 100% respect for him. And I'm, that's the right choice for him. For me, I lean maybe to a fault really hard into the, I want to just stay as pure and clean and delineate the giving of advice from the consummation of a product sale. Now, that's me. Maybe it's a mental hangup I have. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. As a matter of fact, you're choosing to give away revenue to make sure that you feel that way. And so yeah. I can't hate it. And honestly... I hate the idea that anything is wrong for anybody. And I love the fact that you cleared up some things today regarding insurance and annuities. And you did say there was a need for certain people to have those. And I always say to clients, there's no bad product. There's a bad product for you. Meaning not every product should fit everybody, not managed money should fit everybody. So you right. do some fee only management for clients that necessarily are not managing their assets with you as well. No, at this point we do require management investments. I used to do when I first started, I'd offer pure hourly as well as just like one-time plans, but I dropped those as the ongoing business ramped up. So everyone does have AU with us. You got to a point of success, obviously, where it just that it, you just couldn't do it anymore. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah, and I, I didn't enjoy the transactional nature of it. It was cool to see and learn new stuff, new people, new scenarios, but it's a lot of churn. I'd much rather have a good, ongoing, healthy relationship where I know people really well. They call up, it comes right to the top of head, what their issues are, what the, where we leave off, what the planning needs are. That's hard to do when you're churning through a plan here and there, an hourly job here and there. I just simply didn't enjoy it. So I, I was looking at, at, at some of your comments with these IU sales guys, and it's, it's funny because some of them are not responding back to you. Do you Are you Man. hoping to get dialogue from them? Is it an enjoyment factor? I know I, I talked to Anthony Ruffalo and some other people that do stuff on, on LinkedIn, and they do it for the fun of it, the enjoyment of it. They talk a lot about that. Is that what this is more or less? Or do you feel like you want to get into that healthy debate and maybe change some minds? One of the best compliments I ever received was a guy I have a lot of respect for, an advisor who also has insurance licenses, and he's, he's a lawyer as well, said to me on LinkedIn that I have a, a great BS sniffer, a great nose for sniffing out BS or something like that. And I was like, yes, he gets it. I know I push buttons. I know I needle folks, but my, I'm not against insurance. Clear that up. I'm not even against IUL. There's no bad product. There's bad usages of product or bad scenarios for product. I'm against how it's often sold, misrepresented, spoken of in half-truths, outright false statements, misleading comments, et cetera. And I know, I can't prove, but I'm fairly certain I know a lot of the people out pitching it through the likes of TikTok and, and LinkedIn don't know what they don't know. They're new to the industry. They're under some multi-level marketing scheme. A year ago, they were working at some retail store. A year before that, they were working in construction. I'm not knocking that, but like, point yeah. is they don't have formal financial education. They don't have formal experience and background in this stuff. 
they're given a license or given some generic training here, here's the talking points, go sell this. And I'm like, man, you just have no idea the harm you're going to do to people. A lot of the ways these policies are being sold and how you're representing them, it's just so going to not work out for the people you're selling it to. And they're not going to know until 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you'll be long gone. You have moved on to your next gig and they're left holding the bag. And so when I think I see people in scenarios like that, and you can tell from the claims they make and pitches, they say, it's, yeah, okay, this is one of those people. I dig in and I try not to make personal attacks. I don't think I make personal attacks. I try not to just call them stupid, but I point out, hey, what you said isn't right because X, Y, Z. I try to do it methodically, pragmatically with facts and details and just see where they go. And, and my ultimate sort of goal is, okay, if they really know their stuff, they'll come back with legit responses. If they don't, they're going to make themselves look silly or they're just going to shut down and block me, which a lot of people have done and or just chew me out and not respond. I, I almost want to do it because I feel like I need to like out them in front of others and help prevent someone from improperly buying one of these products based on this, this bunk of a pitch they saw from some guy who wasn't in the business a year ago. Yeah. That, that's why I do it. No, I looked at it. None of it was, I, I think none of it was malintent, but it was intended to show, hey, you're not showing the whole picture when you make quotes and statements like this. So I yeah. think there's a, va a value add to you doing it. I just was interested to see why. Some, sometimes it's that concept. And I think from this 25 minutes of getting to know you a tad bit, you're a moral guy. You're, you stand on your hill and you're going to fight it off if you don't think it's 100% accurate. So I think that's fair. Question. Thank you. you. You mentioned earlier growth. You Maybe not, not, not looking to grow as much as you were. And obviously, I always say to advisors that are in the business, there, there's levels you get to in this business, whether it's 50 million or 100 million or, or 200 million or, or some, for some people, 500 million or a billion, where you go, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. If, if growth comes, cool. That means I'm getting to work with some cool people. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to go spend 10 hours a day like cold calling or trying to find business because right. I don't really need to anymore, which is a great place to be. In saying that, which is where I think you are, am I right in saying that? A yes or no? Because I, I got a rhetorical question to you. Yeah, no, 100%. In my early stages of planning, as far as even doing it, I had a very clear cut vision of what it would look like, what my days are going to be what the, the time commitments are going to be of me in this business and what my personal take home is going to be from it. I had my enough, my quote unquote enough, well mapped out in advance. And I knew what it would take to get there. And I, and I know when I got there and I did, I got there much faster than expected. I got there you know, roughly two years from when I started I'm like, all right, I'm at my enough. So I was done. A lot of people don't have it enough. They, they grow for the sake of growing, whether it's greed or just don't know when to stop and growth begets growth. And you get on this, this course of you have to keep growing just because you may not even know why. Anyway, so I, I knew what I want to get to. I got there. I was like, okay, cool. I wasn't looking to hire, but I, I randomly came across someone on LinkedIn, Michelle, who, who I now work with and similar background to me from the corporate world and wanted to get into advising and want to pick my brain. And the more we're talking like, wow, she's like a female version of me. So I was like, what if we work together? And she's a full-blown second advisor. She's not a power planner. She's not an assistant. Like she fully, she does everything for all the clients, just like I do for all my clients. I, I get them because I still have sort of the exposure and the name, if you will, but they're fully her clients in every sense of the word. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, I, I can vault her on as an advisor without a lot of extra needs of me and my time. It'll work well for her. She'll get paid well for having clients. And I have to worry about running a business. And I have to worry about finding clients. I'll get some extra personal income out of it as well. Seems like everyone's happy. And that's ultimately what's working. She's We've been working together now for what, six or seven months. It's working as expected. I still have my sort of lifestyle thing, which is what I wanted. 
And when she gets fully ramped up, the economics are going to be positive for me as well at that point. So can I ask how old you are, Andy? I'm 45. 45. Okay. Yeah, you're my age. Kids, by the way, 14 and 16. So excellent. Yeah. I got to say, I really enjoyed today's podcast. I got to learn a little bit about you, your thoughts and, and feelings. I'm actually interested to see where you go. And I, I think, you know, sometimes it's not greed and sometimes it's boredom. Sometimes yeah. it's I'm managing these clients. It's great, but man, I could do a lot more or I could try something unique. And I'm interested to see, because I do, I, I have a feeling everybody evolves uh, and evolves either yes. in a, a good reason or re a reason. And there might be a period of time Given that you've grown so fast in three years, you're probably at that precipice of, I'm good right now. I'm good. And I remember that feeling of getting there, but I also remember the boredom that can come when you're good. And how can I branch out? How can I stay creative? And you're doing that right now on LinkedIn, and that's great. And maybe that continues for the next 10, 15 years, but I'm interested to see how your business evolves over the next few years. Love to get you back huh. in in three to five years from now, just see where you're at and see, see how things might've changed for you. Yeah, sure. I agree. I, I'm a builder. I have trouble sitting still. So I know where you're going and, and I can't say I disagree with you. So I'm curious to see what the next few years hold. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. It was a pleasure to have you. If anybody has any questions for you, how's a good way to get a hold of you? LinkedIn? Maybe? Uh, you just, yeah. LinkedIn. Everyone can find me there. Good enough. That, Thank that, you. That's your you know main spot, I, I would say. Yeah. Or send me an email. Personal account is andy at andypanko.com. Excellent. That'll work too. Hope everybody enjoyed today's show. I thought we learned some interesting ways of structuring a business. Also, an amazing three-year startup for advisors out there that you know want to change. You can always change. You can always get better. You can always leave whatever career path you have. Andy, thanks again for being on the show and hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Thanks so much. Thank you.